This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today, those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige, and engineering firms. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Hello and welcome to your latest episode of the World's Best Construction Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by James Hardy. I'm your host, Fred, and as always, I'm joined by Luke and Liam. Let's come to Luke first this week. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Um, I've been browsing a bit of TikTok lately, and I came across an account called Xana16, and this is a New York City iron worker. Yeah, and he's just posting these videos of him working on these crazy skyscrapers. I don't know if he's on two seventy Park Avenue or a different oh, different wow. tower, but this guy, he's just like, you know, there's that photo, the famous photo of the guys eating lunch on the Rockefeller yeah. Center. Well, it, it's that. It's basically that, and this guy's just posting videos. So these guys just hanging out on top of these towers and skyscrapers, and he he climbs up one of the beams like he's a. Uh, like he's Caesar from Planet of the Apes in one of the videos. It's, <laughs> mate, it is wow. unbelievable, and it is not a career I'd ever want to do. I lo- and I love skyscrapers. You know, that's my kind of one of my guilty pleasures in life. But mate, no, no. I'll go and have so, a look at that. I love stuff like that. I'm, I'm surprised. Well, I'll have a look, but I'm surprised that he's, they're still doing that sort of stuff in this day and age of health and safety. But. Um, I remember a few years ago, I followed the, I think, US cranes on Instagram when they were building some of the mm. super slender towers on Billionaire's Row. And there were days where these tower crane cabs were like up above the clouds because the, you know, the fog was quite low in Manhattan and they were just sitting up there in the sun with like nothing underneath them. Incredible I, career. I, I know. It's like New yeah. York as well. Like, I, I think it's just a rule to itself a little bit, you know? <laughs> in <laughs> <just>, many ways. <laughs> yeah, in many ways. Yeah. So that's been a highlight of my week, which probably uh, tells you a lot about my life at the moment. How are you, Fred? You all right, mate? <laughs> yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, lots happening. We've seen, uh, I've seen an early cut of the Pharaoh Islands documentary, and my goodness me, it is incredibly good. Oh really? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see that come out, which is going to be going to be good times coming up at Easter on the B1M just before Easter, which is going to be pretty cool. So yeah, good stuff happening, and a really good video that dropped yesterday, which I'm excited to talk about in just a minute. So yeah, how are things down under, mate? Very well, mate. Very well. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited actually to talk about this video topic. It's uh it's a bit of a rogue one for the B1M. Hmm. You know, a bit of science in there. I actually, I actually found it very enjoyable, very educational. Makes a change. Mm, it does. It does, mate. Sure, surely they're all enjoyable <laughs> and educational. <laughs> steady, steady, lads. Come on. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh. 
coming up this week, guys, we're talking about why Japan is hollowing out a mountain, an absolutely incredible infrastructure project. We're also going to chat about London's BT Tower conversion, complete with an interview with an architect who's going to be joining us to chat about some of their ideas for that. Spain's oldest football venue being converted into a very dramatic new red stadium. And as always, we're going to be sprinkling the whole thing with some of your messages and comments from the past week. Let's go. First of this week, we are talking about why Japan is hollowing out a mountain. This is a video that came out on the B1M yesterday. Now, this is an enormous construction project. It is a project the likes of which we've never seen on the B1M or talked about before, but it is absolutely epic. It reminded me a bit of the ITER projects we covered, the nuclear fusion reactor in the south of France. Mm. It's up there with that. Now, to properly understand this, guys, we're going to have to kick off with a bit of a science lesson. But don't worry, it's the kind of science lesson that even Luke and Liam could follow. So <laughs> if you're listening along and you're worried, fear not. <laughs> right. So first of all, our universe is made up of tiny subatomic particles such as quarks, bosons, and the smallest particle of all, neutrinos. Now, I didn't know this, but neutrinos act in strange ways. They fly through space, but they don't interact with any other matter. So billions of neutrinos move through your body all the time, without having any effect on you at all. They can go through anything. They can go through a planet. They can go through a rock. They just move through time and space without interacting with other stuff. It's, it's very, very strange. If we understand more about them uh, and how they work and how they move, we could understand more about our universe and it could fundamentally change how we think about physics and how the solar system and the wider universe are all put together. So it's pretty big stuff. But these neutrinos are absolutely microscopic and next to impossible to spot. One way of detecting them is by smashing larger particles together at high speeds and recording the reaction. That is what's happening over the Large Hadron Collider in CERN, which is sort of underneath Switzerland and a bit of France. Um, mm. They're building another one of those, by the way. We'll come, we'll come to that another day. But they're building a much, much bigger, or they're trying to build a much, much bigger future Hadron Collider or something. Oh. massive great project which we'll talk about uh, another time but anyway that's the sort of thing they're doing at cern another way to try and find these neutrinos is just by listening but ideally you need somewhere very remote quiet and incredibly peaceful and that is where japan comes in because japan is pretty good at being quiet peaceful and generally chilled out outside of cities in the countryside uh, so this project is taking place inside mount nijugu i've pronounced that wrong nijugu Anyway, a big mountain in the Japanese Alps. It is called the Hyper Cameo Candy. I kid you not, this is the actual name. 600 million US dollars being spent on this science experiment led by the University of Tokyo and supported by researchers from 21 different countries. And what they're building is the largest neutrino observatory in the world inside a mountain. Now, I'm going to explain a bit more about why it's inside a mountain, how it works, etc., as we go through. But the first thing to know is that there's a difference between the different cameo candies, right? This isn't the first cameo candy. This region of Japan is known for its zinc mining industry. And it was kind of the expertise of this local mining company, which back in 1983 helped construct the first Kamioka nuclear decay experiment, which they shortened to cameo candy. Now, Kamioka is the nearby town in the Japanese Alps. That's where that comes from. The success of the original cameo candy. Uh, gave rise to the Super Cameo Candy, which they built in 1996. 
and they are now building an even bigger one called the Hyper Cameo Gandhi today. I don't quite know where they're going after this. The Ultra Cameo Candy, the Mega, the Ultimate Cameo Candy. Yeah. Sith Lord Cameo or Candy. Cameo Candy Endgame. Just call it that. Not bad. Not a bad shout. Return of the Cameo Candy. This feels like something that could be from a sci-fi film and that would end the world. You know, they said that about CERN for a little bit, didn't they? They were like, <laughs> they did, oh, there's yeah. a chance it might, you know, suck the earth into a black hole or something. Do you remember that? Good they times. Do, yeah. Fun Good times. times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fun times. <laughs> to be honest, given some of the news at the minute, you think, bring it on. Let's just, let's just, <laughs> yeah. have, a, let's just have a reset. <laughs> how, how do you actually go about discovering a neutrino? Well, that's a good question, like, Liam. How do, you, what they how do you know all this? Like, how do how do you just like well the foundations? It's like, oh, yeah. What's that? I don't. I, how do they find the first one? I don't know. Yeah, scientists and microscopes, I imagine. Uh, now, the hyper cameo <laughs> candy is a big. <laughs> that's just my hot take. I reckon there was some scientists. I don't know. I don't know if I'd yeah. see with uh, microscopes though, would they? That's why they're built. That's why they're building this thing, isn't it? Nice light, thing, mate. Light, Thank you for saving me there. That is why they're building the hypercomic yeah. candy. Now, what it is, yeah. is a massive cylinder carved into mountain rock, 88 meters high, 69 meters wide. There is an approach tunnel at the top and a secondary tunnel at the base. And the whole thing, this whole cylinder they're building, is big enough to swallow an entire 747. Slightly dated reference because the 747 is being largely retired around the world right now, but that's my Av Geek coming out. So mm. swing, swing back to construction. What about uh, an A380? I'm not sure, mate, because um, A380 well, is a bit shorter, but it's got well, a bigger wingspan. So, mm, yeah. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, they began constructing this two-kilometer access tunnel back in March 21. So basically they rock up at the side of this mountain and go, ooh, that looks like a nice place to put a cameo candy in the middle of there. Uh, <laughs> started digging a tunnel. Literally just through the side of the map, just started digging this access tunnel through solid rock, drill and blast method. Took them nine months to drill two kilometers through solid rock down into the middle of the mountain. Uh, and then they've uh, ex- expanded and constructed this this huge sort of dome roof structure uh, in what's going to be, become the roof of this uh, Hyper Cameo Candy Neutrino Observatory. Um, now, the observatory sits 681 meters beneath the mountain peak that is taller than shanghai tower down in under this mountain so they're using a dome structure for the top of the observatory to hold up uh the enormous weight of all that rock above it which is just a, that in itself is an epic feat of engineering how does it how does it actually hold the weight up mate so a part of it is uh because the mountain rock is so solid anyway and we've seen this with drill and blast method tunnels we saw it in the faroe islands we saw it in austria and a few others the rock is pretty stable. Um, but what you're basically bracing for is potential rock slides, slips, or loose material coming down. So uh, the 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 roof is designed to hold up a significant amount of rock above it, but it's not the entire mountain. It's any sort of rock slips or change in weight distribution of the mountain over time. Yeah. So that they, mm. they would have they'd build build into that seismic. Yes. Um restructuring kind of thing yes correct because this is in japan albeit they've chosen the part of japan that deliberately is away from some of the more seismic activity stuff which is why this is kind of cameo candy alley if you know what oh. I mean. 
Oh, Cameo yeah. Candy Valley. It sounds like a theme park, doesn't it? <laughs> I think we oh, all need. I think we all need to build Cameo Candies with like rising sea levels. You know, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Fill it with water. Does it sound a bit cheap? Six hundred mil to build this. To me, to me, this yeah. sounds really cheap. It does. I mean, if you did this in the UK or. I mean, we can't even build a straight line railway from here to Birmingham, can we, for less than 100 billion? <laughs> well, we can. Uh-huh. It's just that people are stopping it. Certain groups are stopping it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it does It does feel a bit cheap. I mean, this is an enormous, great cavern they've dug inside a mountain, right? And it, it gets even more complex than that. So uh, they've built this observatory. They, they completed the top bit in October 23. They're now digging down to build the huge cavern uh, underneath the dome. Um, now, the reason they're doing this inside the mountain is because this rock uh, makes this particular site really good for spotting neutrinos. So the density of the rock is equivalent to this observatory sitting 1.7 kilometers below the surface of the ocean. So what it's done is protected at the observatory from all other interference, background radiation, noise, cosmic rays from the sun, all things that could get into the observatory space and disturb the observatory. What it doesn't affect is neutrinos, because as we established earlier, neutrinos can go through anything, including this insanely big mountain rock. So inside this massive cavern they've constructed, nicely insulated and protected from the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to line it with two layers of concrete and then a waterproof layer, because this whole cavern is going to be filled with water and become the largest tank of water in the world. 260 million litres being pumped into here that is nearly four and a half times bigger than the world's largest aquarium over at sea world abu dhabi this thing is insane uh they're flooding it with water from the sorry the water table from the mountain it's gonna take about half a year to fill six months to fill this thing up uh, and then when that water's in there even though it's clean mountain water it's going to undergo further treatment with uv light which means the water is so pure it could be capable of dissolving metal that's just oh, mind blowing, right? Like what window cleaners use. <laughs> you know, like pure, pure water. You know, you're not meant to drink it, are you? It's really bad for you, right? I think so. I can't comment on the window cleaner comment, but yeah. <laughs> let's, let's assume it's the same. Let's assume it's the same thing. <laughs> Uh, now, what, the reason they built this huge tank of water in a mountain is because when neutrinos pass through the tank, occasionally they're going to collide with electrons, and those electrons give off a very weak glow called Cherenkov radiation. Uh, now, this whole tank, this massive tank, is being lined with these photodetectors, which are thousands of light sensors, which kind of all together act as this big camera. So sensitive uh, that a single sensor could detect the light of a torch being used on the moon. Like it's, I don't know how they tested that, but um, that's what they claim anyway. Uh, so this huge camera around this whole cavern is going to look for and try and spot faint traces of Cherenkov radiation in the water. Uh, these photodetectors are big. They are expensive. They are state of the art. There are forty thousand of them being designed and put into this thing. Uh, and they're all specially engineered to cope with the insane weight of 260,000 tonnes of water. This project, every aspect of this blows my mind. Um, construction is yeah. due to complete in 2026. Uh, then they're going to fit it all out, and the hypercameo candy should start detecting neutrinos and doing other experiments, uh, other experiments, sorry, by 2027. 
just I, I want to get you guys take on this but this project for me it just blo- it blows my mind in terms of like space physics the universe all that kind of stuff but what construction's capable of you know this this is insane they've dug the biggest tank of water in the world mm. inside a mountain lined it with state of the art photo detectors i mean i yeah huge mm. huge project I, I don't know what I find the most impressive, the fact that it's the biggest water tank in the world, the fact that those cameras can do that, or the fact that they've they've figured out a way to actually see these neutrinos and you, the way you have to do it is in the middle of a mountain, in the middle of nowhere, with no sun, no light, and no noise. Mm. That's phenomenal, yeah. man. It's amazing. One thing that struck me is, like we say in the video, you might think this is a bit pointless, but... You know, particle physics is a big part of our lives, and if we do understand more about neutrinos, it could change how we think about the world. And I get it, but it does feel like a lot of time, energy, and effort for something that isn't necessarily a societal priority right now. Um, hmm. Isn't it, isn't it primarily used like we we're saying in the video? I think we mentioned it's for like MRI scans and cancer treatment and things like that. So I mean, if you if that's the sort of goal to advance medicine technology and things like that you just can't really see the results right there's no tangible results straight away that they're doing yeah mm. yeah i was i was going to say something similar it's investing in what we're going to find out from this i suppose as like a human race yeah and we can apply those benefits later down the line i think it's more just future proofing it's investing in information and if if these um, projects have already helped previously with healthcare, I mean, you look at the way healthcare's okay. It's not perfect, um, but you look at the way it's progressed in the last like twenty years. Like our understanding in our lifetimes of certain treatments have completely changed. They've done U turns on certain things mm. because more science comes from it, more more development comes from it. They they look at more nuance from it, and yeah, this could if this can help with just life. That's a that's a win. So yeah, it's a lot of money, but I think it's. I'd rather this than, uh, you know, a nuclear submarine, right? Yeah, I guess it's it's the foresight of uh, investing in longer term things. There obviously there are immediate challenges today, but mm. uh, this and CERN to a certain extent in Europe and also ISA as well, you can mm. see there's a longer term investment going on. It just feels like there's quite a, it's quite a big sacrifice of time, energy, resources for something that isn't going to immediately deliver results. I think that's where the that's where the impressive foresight comes in. You know, ITA they're trying to they're trying to find a, a new sustainable clean energy source, a limitless supply of clean energy. And you understand with that 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 could change the world. With no more fossil fuels, no more damaging the planet. Like there's there's a huge benefit from ITA. But they're talking decades there. You know, they're going to switch it on in the mid 2030s. They want wow. to discover something and then they the actual building of global infrastructure for nuclear fusion could take decades more after that. You know, they, they're dealing in significantly longer periods of time than most of us are used to. Yeah. We don't do that, do we? Not not only personally, but as uh, from a societal level, you know, and maybe it's politically driven. You know, we're only looking like a few years ahead, aren't we, all the time? And that's sometimes bitten us from behind badly, isn't it? When we don't yeah. look far enough. Yeah. And we've talked about it with in the context of infrastructure projects before. You know, naturally these projects require long term commitments and building infrastructure across a country requires sustained long term commitments to the tune of decades. And yeah. 
what that collides with is the short-term cycles of political well, political parties, but also parliaments, um, mm. governmental sessions, presidential terms, economic cycles, you know, and it the two things don't compute. What you really need to do is divorce it and put put things like healthcare and infrastructure separately and yeah. run run and govern separately away from politics, in my view. But um Well talk, talking of politics and stuff, I don't know if this is mentioned or I don't recall if this is mentioned or if you know, but like who's funding this? Is it just is it primarily the Japanese government University of Tokyo or is it a mix yeah, of- it's, so it's it's a mixture of that and also other countries have chipped in money as well, a bit like ITA. So and I think this is where you can get the longer term thing when you've got like uh international treaties and agreements between different countries to commit to something long term. That's where it gets a bit more baked in and harder to change. So if if the Prime Minister of Uzbekistan changes or you know the President of the US changes or you know, the UK decides to have yet another Prime Minister, it doesn't affect the project because it's already fixed and baked in. We are committed yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so, sounds like the dream, mate. It sounds <laughs> like the dream. Yeah. Yeah. I this this blew my mind. I think the as I said, the science blew my mind. Uh the fact we're capable of building something that can detect this, the the science, the intelligence, the engineering, the scale, the fact that it's completely out of sight and people wouldn't know about it really until you know unless you told them about it is fascinating and yeah Yeah. i want to go where do we go from here up from the hyper cameo candy to the cameo candy end game bring it on (laughs) how cool was it in the in the video when they were changing the lights replacing the the old lights that they're on little rafts like little canoes just canoeing across to each side (laughs) taking off the lights and then replacing them oh that's great (laughs) yeah it's like a juxtaposition in it you've got like a really simple light changing going oh well i'm oversimplifying but that's what it looks like in it just on a little raft and yeah, yeah. this is such a super complex yeah wild mm. in it crazy yeah you don't want to drop one of them do you because i imagine they're not cheap <laughs> nah. oh it's gone down to the bottom yeah. i wonder if uh in, in, in a in a few years time there's good chance like you know if the world doesn't implode in itself or get destroyed um the will benefit from research that's done from this facility. Isn't that a weird, isn't that an interesting mm. thought, you know? Yeah. yeah and we're benefiting today from stuff that happened years back. You know? Right, right. Like Netflix yeah. being established. Ah, good point. Yeah, Netflix. <laughs> like YouTube, the, the advent yeah. of podcasting, you know, things like that that are benefiting yeah. your lives this morning, dear listener. <laughs> well you said that in the video like the world wide web wouldn't exist without research without particle research right something like that yeah 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 there was uh they particle physicists were communicating through a system that tim berners lee put together which ended up becoming the internet so yeah unbelievable yeah so there's an interesting story about slack i've told you in the past before but slack sort of came about from a messaging it was a messaging platform for a failed company or the company failed and then they took the messaging platform they devised, turned it into Slack, and sold it for like tens of billions. So yeah, Slack is so good. Like compared to emails, I hate email culture. I hate it now. Like it's Slack is so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Love yeah. love a bit of Slack. Uh, anyway, guys, let us know what you think about the hyper cameo. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's definitely better than Teams. <laughs> there goes the microsoft sponsorship uh anyway guys let us know what you think about the hyper cameo candy get your comments coming in podcast at the b1m.com
So today's episode is sponsored by James Hardy. From the world's number one producer and marketer of fibre cement cladding, the Hardy Architectural Panel by James Hardy makes bringing beautiful designs to life both safe and affordable. The Hardy Architectural Panel is available in two textures, smooth sand and brushed concrete, enabling you to build modern contemporary designs that are specially formulated to give you a long-lasting, low-maintenance and consistent finish for years to come. The A2 Fire Rated Panel, also by James Hardy, can be trusted for protection against extreme weathering while providing the strength, durability and style that your clients deserve. All James Hardy facade products are backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Guys, you can find out more over at jameshardy.co.uk forward slash a perfect match. There are hyphens in between the words a perfect match. Uh, But don't worry, the link is down there in the podcast description so you can go and have a look, click on that and go and check out those fantastic architectural panels over at jameshardy.co.uk forward slash a perfect match we love the guys at james hardy it's a great company great products and as we established last week i think the b&m are voting for the brush concrete panel but uh also smooth sand available so do go and check it out guys and a big thank you to james hardy for sponsoring today's episode Awesome the news this week, we are heading over to London, UK, where exciting plans have been announced for BT Tower. Now, if you don't know BT Tower, you will probably recognise it. It is a huge, now former, communications tower in the middle of London. It is Grade 2 listed, which means it's kind of protected and you have to do you have to be careful how you treat it. Uh, this week, news emerged it had been sold to MCR Hotels for £275 million, and they've now employed Heatherwick Studio to stick some trees on it and turn it into a hotel. We don't know that Heatherwick are going to put trees on it. It's just the sort of thing they do. Uh, no renders of that yet, but Heatherwick Studio are very excited. They're involved and are going to be part of the conversion. However, local Fitzrovia-based uh, Able Partners, which is a uh, architecture practice in the UK located very close to BT Tower, have put forward their own plans for a very cool and dramatic spiralling park around BT Tower, topped with a 360-degree viewing platform. Very impressive renders, very nice looking, itself a lot of debate. We're joined now by Ben Stewart, who is actually co-founder at Able Partners. Ben, talk us through this. What was your idea? Why have you put it forward? And what do you hope becomes of it? Thanks, Fred. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, we've sort of been thinking about this for the last year. So Able's three years old now, and we've worked on big commercial projects. But Ben and I, my co-founder, we actually worked for 10 years at a company called Make who are right underneath the BT Tower. So we've always been around it and seen it, never really known what was going on. And uh, when we started Able, our whole strategy is uh, reimagining existing buildings. And we thought, well, what is anyone doing with the BT Tower? What what a wasted asset. Like, what's it doing? And the more we tried to research about it, the, the sort of more intriguing it was. So we started to realize that well, one, it's quite difficult to get to. You say it's very prominent, but I guess, Fred, you'll be used to uh, in, in New York. It's actually very difficult to find a skyscraper when you're right next to it. You can see it from miles away, but when you actually get to the bottom of it, you can never quite find it. And the BT Tower is like, quite hidden in that regard. But actually, the, the base that it sits on, it's like the, the actual base tower block is enormous. So we started to look at, well, how could you reimagine this old asset? You know, as you said, it's a communications tower. It's grade two listed. But it's so iconic um, that what w- what would be the most interesting thing to do? And uh, 
I don't know if you remember, Fred, the Tulip was a, was a project that was, uh, I was a Tulip defender, but it wasn't the most popular project. And I guess for, for, for those that don't know, it was a, uh, an amusingly shaped viewing platform, but it happened to be in the city of London, which was very unusual for the city. But what was interesting was it was rejected on planning reasons for its embodied carbon. It was one, well, one of the first that I knew, which was rejected on sort of sustainability credentials as much as anything else. And I th- we thought, oh, the BT Towers, this this in- amazing building, completely underused. So why don't we do something exciting? How could you recycle all the materials off it? What would it look like if you just kept the the main structural elements, the main uh, concrete slabs? But what could you do with the glass? You know, it's completely surrounded by glass, but actually it's all server rooms. There's not really very much in it. And we were very lucky that uh, someone from BT actually gave us a private tour of the BT Tower about three months ago. We went up to the very top. There's just two lifts in the whole building. And one of the things I wanted to, I'm fascinated to see what Heatherwick does is we work with WSP as part of this sort of research project, you know, like what's the capacity of two lifts. And one of the challenges the BT Tower has, it's very difficult to get lots of people up and down. So if you want to have a successful viewing platform, you know, you look at the London Eye or you look at, um, I guess, maybe Lift 109 in Battersea, you know, the challenge is just moving people up and down through the building and post sort of post Grenfell fire escapes are obviously so important now. So once we started to create a, the two lifts were working up and it had a spiral staircase coming down as a sort of fire escape, we were like, oh, well, we've got this incredible viewing platform. But what about the route up? What about the route down? You know, people, I, I think one of the most exciting parts of this scheme that we're proposing is it's this, you can go up the lifts or you can have this kind of almost like a vertical park. You can walk up it. It's got seating all the way up. It's got planting. It's all protected with sort of a wire, a very thin wire mesh. So actually once you're in it, it's very safe for everyone, for kids, for everyone. And you can actually have an event just going up it. But when you're at the top, like I can't, I mean, Fred, you've been up taller buildings, but to anyone that's <laughs> not been at the BT Tower, it is so unique in its location. There's nothing anywhere near it. And in London, you've got panoramic views everywhere and you can see everything. And because of the way it's designed, you can stand on the glass, look down and there is nothing underneath you. It almost feels like you're in a you're in a flying saucer or something. So why not open that to everyone? Why not create this experience for everyone? And one of the interesting parts is somewhere who are this incredible visualization company we worked with for this scheme. When we took it to them, you know, we had a great workshop with them and we had all these amazing ideas. And one of the big ideas was they'd done this amazing augmented reality experience where you could be in a room and it would in LCD screen show you in the background what was behind you, but all augmented. And one of the things we realized with the BT Tower is if you change the profile of it in any way, you you lose what is such an iconic building in London. And uh, I know, Fred, you saw some of the earlier designs that we were playing around with. And, you know, so some of them were more like a, a lollipop with a, with a, with a, with a thing on top. <laughs> not quite as uh, elegant and we realized that to mess with the profile of the bt tower would be to ruin one of the nicest things one of the most iconic parts about it so this idea that you can go up the building there's an outdoor very dramatic viewing platform and we've created this raked seating so actually when you're on the seating there is nothing in front of you and you actually can see straight down onto the city which is very dramatic and uh 
I noticed some of the comments on uh, on YouTube were a little uh, disparaging of the safety. But, you know, the idea is that, it, that it's an idea. But then you can go up into the top, the actual ring that says BT Tower at the moment. And in this halo at the top, you have this incredible digital experience that people can see, you know, what London was before, what London is going to be soon. So using all of that, we also looked at, well, what would happen in 10 or 15 years if you wanted to dismantle our interpretation of the BT Tower and then someone else gets another interpretation of it. So one of the things that we looked at in the design of this, which is we've been kind of going back with WSP, with uh, with somewhere, and then we've been looking at how you can dismantle the building and you're sort of left with what is there now. If you stripped off all the facades, stripped off all the slab, you're still left with everything there. So what we're, we're sort of playing with this idea of like a long-term meanwhile use, you know, like what, you know, mm. if it's going to be a hotel, and I think one of the most exciting parts about Heatherwick taking this on was for a while, it seemed just unbelievable that anyone would be able to buy a grade two listed incredible property in London. So when we were doing this, it was like, would, would anyone, no one, would anyone really do this? But it's such an iconic building. And then suddenly once it got bought by the hotel and, and Heatherwick, it was just just an incredible opportunity to not leap on it and try and show everyone what we'd done. But absolutely, and I think people remember you know, Heatherwick did the grain silo, I think, in South Africa, where they yeah. took a very sort of I'm not sure that building was listed, but it was a very clearly a grain a grain silo, and converting that into a hotel in the way they did was spectacular. So they've kind of got form for this, but yeah, um, like I say, there's no ideas at the minute, but the, what what you've put forward feels like very exciting, very eye opening, very exciting, and definitely kind of challenges us to think about how we reuse these existing spaces i think for people listening as well because i know there were some comments about real estate and you know there isn't enough less floor space and how you're going to make money out of it you're proposing that the podium underneath it has hotel offices co-working space is that right yeah yeah and the actually an enormous amount of activity happens in 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 the, the the base of the building and you have this incredible atrium that brings all this natural light in but from the atrium you see the bt tower sort of rocketing up into the sky um and we um, i actually think i sort of touched on it a minute ago this idea of meanwhile if you think in in reality when they actually do build this the bt tower itself if they were to do what we would proposed once you've stripped the building would not take very long to inter you know to actually build what we would propose whilst they then completely rebuild the base. They might they might knock the whole base down. They might rebuild everything on the base. But we're seeing this on other projects. You know, this isn't, you'll see more in the next six months. This isn't the first project that we're looking at an intervention that might last not months, but years whilst they're building a bigger block around the bottom. So it's like, it's a much more extreme version of meanwhile. You know, there's so many towers in London that you can't knock down. You can't take the height off. You've got to keep the structure you're left with this incredible height and volume so actually you know heatherwick uh you know you can't it's not you can't you can't you could do what we've done and still build the base and once the base is finished then you could actually carry on and do whatever you want on the rest of the tower yeah i think the nice part of this as well is it's taking something that is everyone knows bt tower in, in london certainly but it feels so accessible it's so off limits like you having an access tour to it is like incredibly cool because it's not it's just not a building you get to go to and with your idea, you're kind of giving it back to the public in a way. You're making public space, which doesn't happen very often. Like proper, good quality public space doesn't happen very often. So that's a really nice part of it. And I'm right in thinking you're hoping that, you know, being a, a local practice, literally right next door to BT Tower, you're hoping that 
these ideas are going to influence Heatherwick's design team in some way? We would we would love to work with them. I mean, you know, in their in their article, they were looking for you know ideas, and we think that knowing the building so well, and you know, like we've we've done so much work on it that it would be a real missed opportunity if we couldn't somehow get involved or or at least bring ideas to the table. And but just as a fan of the BT Tower alone, I'm just fascinated to see what they're yeah. doing. I want to ask because it's it's great to talk to someone who's so immersed in in the architectural world and obviously is is doing this and starting your practice and everything's been a, a fantastic story what was it like with just like putting your, your neck out there with ideas like this because it is bold it is daring obviously it's, it's newsworthy um it was out across the the b1m platforms and elsewhere last week which is great um but it's had kind of like mixed comments so there's a one really nice comment on linkedin here saying wrapping the bt tower with a lush spiraling park is more than an innovation it's a statement Able Partners is inviting us to rethink our relationship with urban space and heritage in the most visually stunning way. There's people that love it. I'm, I would put myself in that camp. There are others who are like, what the heck are you doing to BT Tower, you monster? This is a terrible idea. Safety, access, real estate. Um, and as kind of, you've, you've got heat in both ways for touching what is a UK icon. Like, what is that? What is that like? Because obviously you've thought about it in a lot of detail. We, we've established that from chatting to you here, but to put something out there and have it kind of, you know, critiqued by the masses, the uninformed masses, what's that like? That is a uh, very interesting question. I mean, when I was at Make, I have some experience with this. I worked on a project called Five Broadgate, which, uh, when that came out, was one of the most divisive projects ever. It was my first project. It got. I think it got nominated for the Carbuncle Cup, so I'm not not used to things that I've worked on have so <laughs> negative. But then on the flip side, it got sold last year as the most expensive building in London for a billion pounds. So have I that. think, for, yeah, well, I think for, uh, for us, our mentality at Able was to do things we were interested in and we were excited by. And I think the freedom of Bill and I is that we give ourselves these opportunities to try and do something that like we would love. And if it's a building we would love, then we feel passionate enough to stick our head above the parapet because I'm not defending someone else's design. It's something that we really like. And I know it's not everyone's taste, but, uh, but I think if it's interesting and something everyone can go experience and, and has a, a, an amazing moment to it, I think if you, if people can experience something, everyone can experience my mum, my son, my friends, my parents, you know, if it's a combined experience and I think we're more than happy to uh, stick our head above the parapet and, and do something which we think not many people would do. And and I guess with you, Fred, you know, like, as uh, you know, I've known you for eight years now and you've gone from trying desperately to be in and be a voice in this industry and now pretty much are the voice of the industry. It's like, I feel like we've developed our own unique channels to, to sort of do something a little more fun and how we would do things and maybe not necessarily how the architecture press have always done things or just yeah it's, it's fun being able to get things out there without having to go through normal channels and yes that's going to ruffle a few feathers i'm sure <laughs> yeah i mean do you think we need more of that do you think we need more of this kind of impassioned debate around what our cities look like what our buildings look like what our houses look like do you think it's actually a good thing that people are this animated and engaged in debating a building's future like this is a good thing right i i think it's great i mean i think it's really good because we saw an article in the aj that said like it was like the 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 longest length of pessimism in architecture for the last decade or or something along those lines and i think one of the 
things that I'm really enjoying is that we can have an idea, develop it, have worked with the best engineers and visualizers. And, you know, Jason Hawkes was this incredible aerial photographer who gave us his imagery because he's so excited and being able to pull all those strands together and then do something that's fun and exciting, get it out there. I think is we're trying to do everything optimistically. Like, I don't think you'd ever find us saying we don't like that. We don't think this, I think we'd be like, well, this is what we would like and what we should do. And I do think if, Maybe mid-journey in AI will be this terrifying thing where actually anyone can come <laughs> yeah. up with a cool idea. And and actually some of the, I mean, I've watched some of the incredible stadium images you've had of like AI stadiums in, in a Grand Canyon or something. But that's exciting. I think if people can like vote with what they do like, as opposed to saying what they don't like, that's, that's, what, we'd, that's what we'd love to try and get out there. And, you know, we've got so many ideas that some of them we can, some of them we can't talk about, and you know we want to drip feed them out. But they're all ideas that were born out of enthusiasm. And well, why hasn't anyone done that before? And you know, you know that meeting people and talking to people is great. Well said. Well said. I, to be honest, Ben, you covered off pretty much most of the questions that I had. I, I personally, I'm a, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of the, the design. Actually, I actually really like it, and I, and I really appreciate that it hasn't just been. I think Fred touched on this earlier, just covered in trees and shrubbery and things like that like we seem to cover a lot of topics in uh 2023 that we we seem there's a ongoing trend of just covering the building and trees and things like that um yeah and i, I mean I, I have to say I, I i disagree with a lot of the comments um in the instagram post i think it i think it adds value to the, to the skyline i think it adds value to the bt tower and i think the circular that walkway is is a great idea to see the city and to be open to to the public as well i think it's great mm. i mean i i did uh i spent what five years designing a skyscraper in the city of london so one of the things i had to try and not do was obsess over how everything goes together and everything <laughs> like i know that there's decisions we've made that are like uh, really exciting and they're there to like provoke conversation but yes in reality maybe the handrail will be two meters and maybe a bit more secluded but mm. i think the idea that you can create an interesting mountain that you can climb but in the middle of a city you know yes i'm sure it's a bit too windy up there but isn't that like that's the that's the view you're going to remember when it's like windswept and exciting not this homogenous glass box that you're in i think that's one of the only things i don't like about maybe the shard or maybe like the walkie talk is you, you just sit behind so much glass and I, and I think it would be a be very exciting yeah. and dramatic to be up at that height because it is really high <laughs> eiffel tower Eiffel Tower, yeah. and you get the you you feel the elements, don't you? Uh, but to be fair to Liam and Liam and I are big fans of the walkie-talkie. They do have an outdoor deck, you know. <laughs> so I'm just putting that out there. I like that. Look, bit, I put but... my hand up. I was a tulip fan. I realise I'm not a walkie-talkie fan, but I've got more controversial likes as well. <laughs> Fred's not I a like, fan. I like, see, I like. I like the tulip. I'm not a fan of the walkie-talkie. I saw, <laughs> is it 3XN Architects uh, put on Instagram this week that they're here on an architectural uh, discovery tour of London. And I was like, I can imagine them looking at the walkie-talkie and going, oh, don't build like that, lads. That is not, <laughs> that is not what we want. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was I was on one of your earliest videos, Fred, where I did a thing about how much I love the Shard, which was uh, which was yeah. probably six or seven years ago. So, like, I, you know, it's it's viewing platforms are my thing. My wife's joke is that if there's a tall building in a build, in a city, I will have to go to the top of it. So it's like it's a joke that I will I, if I don't if I die and I've built a viewing platform, I will die happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Well, it's it's becoming part and parcel, isn't it? With London culture, you know, tall buildings, viewing observations. Which one? Which one can be the best? You know, because a, f- a few of them are getting a little bit samey, aren't they? And I I liked that this was a different approach to that, a different experience, different interaction. I think that's my takeaway from it. Is that even if it doesn't materialize, it maybe could influence a different way of having viewing platforms and experiencing them for for people for kids for families future generations right so yeah i enjoyed that bit well i think like the the fact that you sort of well you you're gonna have to have an escape stair so i've never been up a viewing platform where you can actually walk up it and that's part of the experience and i think one of the best things about the bt tower existing and all of the structure being there is that you're able to make decisions that you would never get to do on a new project like you would never build so much just to do a staircase but when you've got all this here that why why would you like waste that opportunity you know because just the route up is incredible and then you come down the lifts and it's you know you can it, it like it's it's i think it would be amazing and it's it's so you're, there's nothing around you for 500 meters that's even a tenth of the height so it's yeah it's amazing mm-hmm. ben, yeah. Do, i, I want to have... see it built now <laughs> i want to see it built <laughs> absolutely do, do you have any idea on how long it would take to walk up to the top it wouldn't be sure. It would be an experience. <laughs> that would, uh, it depends on your uh, your fitness. But yeah, it would, it would definitely, it would probably take about half an hour, 40 minutes, I would imagine. But the idea is that there's benches and there's seating areas in each bit and people yeah. can rotate up and down at the same time. So it's not, you know, if you want to go up a quarter of the way or half of the way, I mean, actually we designed it to the lifts, you know, the lifts already stop at every floor. So I guess if you... Uh, <laughs> If you if you uh, you can't have any more energy, you can always get the lift up. That would be cheating. <laughs> a few overpriced coffee stops on the way, I imagine. Knowing London, they'll pop those in somewhere. There'll be a Starbucks. Well, and I thought lift, you when, you, go, when you come out of the lift, you'll be in the gift shop. Obviously, they'll hit you for no. some oh, God, some merch. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think like I do think like if what if it was free if you walked up it because that's you know that's like you know like people do Strava runs in the morning it's like well it, from like six to seven it's free if you can just go up it the lifts don't work and do your yoga on the top of mean, I would I would absolutely love that but I mean mm. I'm in the minority but am I I don't know I, I think it's a great <laughs> idea I'm, I'm voting mm. for this Ben I'm I'm behind you and I, I was told myself I'd be impartial but you've convinced me now you've just you've, <laughs> you've been talking about it in more detail you've spun me around yeah great project guys if you haven't seen this go and have a look it's over on our instagram and across social media also there's a full article about it with images and video over on the b1m.com ben massive thanks for coming in there we've loved uh someone intelligent being here talking to us it makes a nice change from mm. the three of us yeah. just fundling our way through it so thanks for coming in mate <laughs> whenever, whenever you need me i'm here <laughs> <laughs> see you soon thanks guys thanks ben Next, we're heading over to Spain, where the country's oldest football venue is set for a dramatic makeover ahead of the 2030 centenary FIFA World Cup. Now, this is very nice. I'm very excited about this. This is uh, the, I'm going to get this wrong, El Molion Stadium? El Molion Stadium? Uh, Home to that well-known team, uh, Real Sporting de Gion. Again, got this completely wrong anyway designed by sordo madaleno very nice uh conversion of this stadium they're wrapping the whole thing in a dramatic new red facade structure which is going to contain a gastronomic corridor filled with bars and restaurants the pitch position 
uh, and a significant portion of the existing building are all being retained. Uh, but they're giving it an additional 9,000 temporary seats for the World Cup. Uh, that is on top of its existing 33,000 capacity. Very, very uh, beautiful renders they've released. They've sort of lit it up red at night around dusk. Um, it's got Star Wars vibe. I like this project. I think it's really cool. Count me in for a gastronomic corridor. Goodness me. Maybe I could get into football. There's a lot of food bars and restaurants around. Uh, but yeah, I think this is nice. Sorry for butchering the names, but um, design-wise, cracking. Mm. Yeah, I mm. totally agree. Uh, but I think the standout is the use of colour. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and the texture, the materials, it, it, it that is the standout. Um if it if 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 it weren't for the color, I think it'd be pretty average. I agree. Gray. I was thinking yeah. this morning if this was white yeah. or any other color, you'd just be like, uh, yeah, yeah, the red is inspired. They have slapped some shrubbery on. Um, I wonder how long that will last. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of <laughs> on the, the comments. Uh, one of the comments is, I'm yeah. sure those plants will just hang there in real life like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just yeah i but I, part of me wonders if this will age nicely or in you know at completion 10 years later will it look a bit haggardy will it look a little bit used and worn maybe that color mm. it's that color is very trendy at the moment right but it's not necessarily everlasting um but yeah, right now my gut says yeah, this is a, this is a great great design. I can't wait for that World Cup. It's the first World Cup where they're doing it over three continents. Did you know that? I did. Yeah, you got so they're hosting the first few games in uh in in South America, I think in Uruguay, or somewhere else, South America, and then the rest of the World Cup is being played between like Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. So it's mm. three continents, and which conveniently paved away for Asia to host or Australia to host the next World Cup. And then Saudi Arabia were like, oh yeah, we want a bit of that. We want a bit of the twenty the World Cup after that. So anyway, well done FIFA. We see you. Um <laughs> we would never suggest that FIFA are uh, you know not a straight laced company in any way. They've got a reputation for being yeah. <laughs> pretty solid old FIFA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big fan. What do you reckon, Liam? Is it beautiful? It, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I like the um, brushed concrete look that it's yeah. got. Oh, as yeah. Well. Mm. We know you like a bit of brushed con- concrete, mate. I do, mate. I, I, you know, I'm quite <laughs> partial to a bit of brushed concrete. I think it, I think it bodes well with the scenery. You know, it's by the ocean, sand. Look, it just looks. Yeah, it just looks very nice. Hmm. I like the uh, the spin of gastronomic corridor. It's basically there's there's a load of restaurants and bars around the side of the stadium, like you get in any stadium in a mm. circular arrangement around the seats. But they've called it a gastronomic corridor. That is uh, that's yeah. a state agent, real estate agent speak right there. Oh, right, mate. Mm. absolutely. When I went to the, um, remember when I went to the Tottenham Stadium opening a couple of years ago? <laughs> it was like I can't remember when it was, and they had the longest bar in Europe, and it just mm. went forever. It's just this long bar. No, really promoting that. So, I mean, you know, marketing spill. Yeah. yeah. Goes everywhere. Yeah. I, this isn't on the show notes, but a kind of breaking news overnight as we record this is that Mercedes-Benz have announced another skyscraper in Miami, this time with JDS Development Group. Uh, it's called Mercedes-Benz Places in Miami. 
goodness me. How, again, come to our naming consultancy, guys. I'm going to set this up because we can name stuff better than you. Uh, but there's some spin within that press release. Goodness me. They, apparently, this building um, is going to merge modern living spaces with innovative mobility concepts under the theme of timeless design inspired by Miami. Oh, wow. what a load of tripe. What does that I'm mean? I'm going to type that. I'm going to type that into mid-journey and see what building it kicks out at me and see if it looks anything like the building they put forward. The walkie-talkie, mate. (laughs) Uh, Now, obviously, listening to this as a podcast, guys, you can't see what we're talking about. But you may remember a few weeks ago, uh, a slightly awkwardly shaped building was announced by Mercedes-Benz in Dubai, a new super tall skyscraper that uh, professed to have sensual purity coming out of it. And that was... It was it was interesting shaped. I think the brief this time they basically sat the designers down and go, whatever you do, <laughs> don't make it look like a penis. Was kind of what they what they were saying because it doesn't look anything like it this time. So uh, yeah, yeah, Mercedes it's, going big in Miami. Yeah, it's kind of like a um, uh, uh, it's it's a worse version of that big uh, tower in Rotterdam with all the different blocks. You know the one I'm talking about? Is that called D Rotterdam or something, right? Yeah. D Rotterdam Tower building. Yeah, D Rotterdam. Yeah, which is remarkable. I love that. Love that structure. This, uh, it's okay. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. People say Miami's got a good skyline now. This is a good hit. Um, Obviously, it's just been announced. Miami, I don't know. Is it the place to build right now? It's a good climate change. It's not, you know, it's going to be some pressure down there in years to come but um, i'm going there in april aren't i but i'm gonna take my swimming shorts just in case <laughs> can't nice. wait to see that luke can't wait to see that it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting cheers uh, guys let us know what you think about all the new stuff this week we talked about bt tower and we met ben from able partners chatting about his design for it we also had a chat about the fantastic red colored stadium in spain that i can't pronounce complete with gastronomic corridor and a cheeky bit of the new mercedes-benz tower in miami Get your comments coming in, podcast at the B1M.com. Swinging over to the inbox, what have you got for us this week, Luke? Right, we've had a few emails in, but due to time, I'm just going to go for a review. We've had a couple Apple Podcast reviews, but we'll just do this one. Antonin Besser. Antonin Besser. He says, my new favourite podcast, five stars. The banter of 2000s-era Top Gear applied to the exciting world of construction <laughs> this <laughs> nice to know we're up to date eh? <laughs> i was gonna say like 20 years ago <laughs> what inappropriate stuff have we said uh this has rapidly become one of my favorite podcasts a great way to keep up to date on all major projects going on around the world and have a laugh at the same time warning Lots of British humour may not apply universally. But he's from the US. Oh, what does he mean by that? So. What does he mean by that? We've got Australian people here. I know. <laughs> I know. You know what makes me laugh? Every week Luke struggles to read their names. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> Anthony. Oh, oh. Every week. It's great. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some of these names I'm like I don't, I don't think I've said that verbally before but. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to throw stones in my glass house having just mispronounced all those Spanish names <laughs> yeah pronunciation is not our strength is it but um, yeah yeah no lovely lovely review though Top Gear 2000s era I like that mm. 
they've all been let go now for being a bit too near the mark. So it bodes well, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway, good, pr- good projection for us. So. <laughs> it made me think of uh, Joe Biden when Rishi Sunak was or became Prime Minister of the UK. He said uh, he was doing a speech somewhere. He said, "Rashid Sunuk." Before I lost. Someone said, yeah, he's definitely only seen that name on a piece of paper. Not to read it out before. He hasn't heard it read out before. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair, fair play. There you go. Bit, a bit of politics for you there, guys. Bit of, uh, <laughs> bit of satire. I'm not sure if it's even satire. But anyway, uh, let us know what you think about today's episode. Huge thank you to James Hardy for sponsoring today. Huge thanks to Ben from Able Partners for joining us. And don't forget, guys, we want your feedback. We want your reviews. We want your five-star reviews get your comments coming in over at podcast at the b1m.com and we're going to be back next week uh we've also been watching one day on netflix but i was too sad to bring it up it's so sad oh denny watched that she said it was great it's yeah it's really good but got me at the end did you cry mate did oh when the bird died same we watched that yeah yeah i was like all right all right is that how it wraps up Uh, did you finish it yeah yeah i know i was like all right brilliant i found i found the whole thing quite depressing it was a bit sort of like oh yeah Yeah. good though a good concept like the same day a year on each time Mm. Yeah. yeah yeah it was brilliant (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>